Welcome to China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. A landmark summit in California included four hours of talks between the leaders of the United States and China. Xi Jinping and Joe Biden both promised to calm tensions, following many indications recently of mutual mistrust. Planet Earth is big enough for both countries to succeed, said Xi Jinping. The principal achievement seems to have been a promise to restore military communication channels. Beijing also said that it would curb the export of chemicals which are used to make fentanyl, the opiate which has been linked to hundreds of thousands of deaths in America. But what about the business side of things? Has Xi Jinping done enough to win back the support of American businesses, many of which are heavily invested in China? I'm pleased to have Christopher Tang as our guest this week. He's a distinguished professor at the UCLA Anderson School of Management, and he joins us from San Francisco, where the summit took place. Christopher, thanks for taking part in China in Context. Thank you for having me. Now, I'd like to start by asking your view on one of Mr. Biden's comments, which has received a great deal of attention in the press. A reporter asked the president a really loaded question. He said, do you think Xi Jinping is a dictator? To which Mr. Biden replied, yes. Now, China was pretty angry about this comment. I'd like to hear your take on that exchange. This remark was really a trap that this reporter would like to uh, get uh, President Biden off guard. So the comment was uh, really off the script. So in the past, President Biden has made his personal candid comments, which deviates from the US policy. During this meeting, United States invited President Xi to attend this summit. And I think that is uh, diplomatic to say that President Xi is a strong leader leading the country like China without really using the word dictator because it doesn't serve any purposes. But I think that this would trigger uh, really the anger, which is understandably from the Chinese media because they care a lot about respect and faith. Well, leaving that rather controversial remark aside, and I agree with you, it did sound a bit of a trap by the reporter, both the US and China are saying that there was progress during that meeting. What positives do you think we can draw from it? From the military standpoint, I think there's some positive development. Both leaders agreed to resume the military dialogues, which was suspended after US shot down the balloon, and also after Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan. So that was really a complicated situation, but I'm glad to see that now both countries are willing to resume the discussions and dialogues over any military uh, disagreements or some other kind of uh, intentions, because having this kind of a clear understanding will avoid any potential conflict due to uh, misunderstanding as well. Besides the military dialogues, that will be resumed. And I think that I'm pleased to hear that President Xi is agreed to keep an eye on the illegal trade of chemicals 
that are used to make fentanyl in Mexico and then we export it back to the United States that has killed many Americans. So I think that China is willing to provide more uh, due diligence and monitor the trading uh, uh, shipments and also in terms of uh, track and trace of these illegal chemicals into Mexico or into the United States. Yeah, I think those are all signs of progress. And I'm not surprised that both the uh, Chinese Foreign Ministry and the US State Department are, are highlighting those things in their reports. But if you look a little bit deeper, actually, at the reporting in China, you see some extra things, too. So I've been looking at the Xinhua News Agency, and I noticed some of the interesting things that Mr. Xi said to Biden. He said that the US president's recent executive order restricting investment into China in certain fields seriously damages China's legitimate interest. And he carried on with this because Mr. Xi said that he thought that the US was depriving Chinese people of their right to development. Help us to understand Xi Jinping's remarks, please. In this particular case, I think that's from the Chinese perspective, there's always a suspicion that Americans try to uh, prevent China to become the world leading uh, country in terms of GDP and also technology development. So the ban of uh, exporting uh, AI-related semiconductors and also AI equipment and technology in the China has actually uh, impeded the development of AI and 5G development in China. So therefore, I think it's understandable that the Chinese uh, government and also the Chinese people uh, suspect that that is really hurting the Chinese economic and also technology development. The other element is also uh, has surveyed recently that Chinese nationals are not allowed to buy land in Texas and also they're not allowed to buy property in Florida. So this act actually gives the impression that Chinese people are not able to actually develop further into the United States, even though they're willing to invest. That's interesting. I hadn't heard about those restrictions on uh, Chinese people being able to buy uh, land in certain American states. So do you go along with this idea that the U.S. is trying to hold back China's development progress? This act is actually uh, rather peculiar because that's, I think many countries, uh, citizens, they were uh, allowed to buy properties and land. But in particular, this act was really single uh, the Chinese nationals out. So I think before uh, the COVID, Chinese uh, invest a lot of properties and land, and also in terms of business, including uh, widgets and including even the GE home appliances. Uh, now is actually owned by uh, the Chinese company who are uh, higher. So I think that this recent change actually created the impression that, uh, that there is uh, some kind of suspicions of the Chinese uh, intention when they invest in properties uh, or land. So I think that uh, as long as America wants to have an open market, this needs to be re-examined carefully. That's fascinating. Well, look, I must admit, reading some of the news coverage of the event here, um, people who are reading the newspapers or watching the television might not have even realised that this was a summit to promote trade and business. They'd have thought it was all political. But I can see that there was a huge banquet in California thrown by the Chinese side. 
which attracted many business leaders. Elon Musk of Tesla was there, Tim Cook of Apple. What benefits were they looking for? Well, the banquet is quite expensive. Uh, in order to have a seat at this dinner, uh, the price tag ranges from 20000 to 40000 US dollars. Now, the dinner was supposed to give hope to these business leaders to think of a way to strengthen uh, the tie with China and also that's maybe ease the, the way of doing business in China that was becoming more complicated in the recent months. Uh, for example, I think that the Chinese government has uh, discouraged uh, the Chinese government officials and hinting that maybe even Chinese nationals should stop using Apple iPhone. That has caused Apple's stock's uh, price to drop significantly. Secondly, if you look at Tesla, they are building many, many electric vehicles in Shanghai. So, but And yet the sales is slowing down because it's overtaken by BYD in the world. So I think these two leaders would like to have a, uh, a glimpse of hope that China may ease up and also make it more friendlier to business professionals uh, such as Americans to work in China in view of the recent expansion of the espionage law that has created some complications. Oh, yeah. Well, we're going to talk about that espionage law on the podcast next week with an expert on spying. I'm looking forward to that, actually. But I want to mention another point about the summit in California. It was not just the United States and China taking part, was it? It involved a whole load of countries who belong to the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Group, and their shared objective is to enhance the region's economic prosperity. What do you think the summit achieved for APEC? The original intent of APEC was to foster trade among 21 intergovernmental uh, partners, member countries, uh, including uh, Singapore, uh, Russia, the Philippines, Japan, and some other countries along the Pacific Rim. Now, this year, there was a, a hope that through the new uh, partnership that President Biden uh, has uh, uh, launched in 2022, the uh, IPEF, Indo-Pacific Economic Framework. So the original intent is uh, through this summit meeting is really trying to launch the uh, agreements among digital trade and also e-commerce among all these Pacific Rim uh, countries that belong to the IPEF. But this has been suspended. This has created a lot of disappointment among many APEC members because it did not happen. So instead, I think that this APEC meeting is uh, perhaps we can call it overshadowed by the meeting between President Xi and President Biden. So I think that this initial uh, intentions hope to achieve by these members uh, did not really come to fruition. I think that's a fair point, even though there were a lot of other meetings, actually, the Japanese and the South Korean leaders were also there. Uh, Justin Trudeau came down from Canada for it. There was a lot of talking going on, actually. Historically, economic trade has been a catalyst for peace. I'm wondering if that can still be the case. Well, trade has always been a critical element to establish interconnected 
activities, economic trades among members. So the idea is that if I trade with you and you trade for me, then maybe there's no point for us to fight over other things. They will help to smooth things. But the current optics uh, is getting complicated, triggered by two wars. The wars in Ukraine, the, the Russian invasions, that China sided with Russia, and yet the West sided with Ukraine. Similarly, the ongoing uh, the war uh, in Israel, the Israel-Hamas war, also got really divided many countries on opposing sides. China is really sided with maybe perhaps more than Iran uh, after they broke the agreement between Iran and Saudi Arabia in April. So, and yet the West is more sided with Israel. So as a result, I think that this kind of conflicts by choosing sides actually divided uh, many countries on opposing sides. So this actually create more tensions militarily and also that's economically. So now these two things are intertwined. Then the questions when people getting emotional, uh, maybe the economic trade may not be the first priority in their mind. So therefore, I hope that all the countries can uh, be stay more calmly and also they maybe think more rationally and uh, strategically such that uh, after all, peace has winners, but war has no winners. So I think that with that mindset, that will actually get the trade uh, started really soon such that the economic growth for the world will be better. Well, that's a very bold vision, and I think you'd make rather a good diplomat. Thank you, Christopher. That was Professor Christopher Tang from the UCLA Anderson School of Management on the line from San Francisco. This podcast is made by the SOAS China Institute in London, and you can find out more about our courses and research at soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here on the China in Context podcast team.